0: Hi, my name is Aisha Small. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Youth and Education podcast, where I interview interesting guests to explore developments in education, research and policy that affect young people, primarily in the UK. This podcast is brought to you by the Youth Think and Action Tank, LKM Co. Hello, wonderful people. This is episode 15. Of the LKM Co. Youth and Education podcast. In this episode, I talk to Ross McGill. Ross is a, well, he's an experienced school leader, and he set up his own business, which is known as Teacher Toolkit, so he runs quite a successful website. He was in um, with us at the SHIP, which is our headquarters in Hackney, giving us some social media training, and I thought, why not have a chat with him? Ross and I talk about teacher workload, Uh, the use of technology to reduce workload and also feedback. He also has an interesting and uh, possibly quite popular view that we should get rid of Ofsted gradings. I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation. Ross is a big supporter of teachers and very, very passionate about helping teachers to reduce their workload and have a well-balanced life.
1: LKM. Co believes society should ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to make a fulfilling transition to adulthood. Find us at lkmco.org. Carrie, listen to
0: it now? Now. Mr. Ross Morrison-McGill. How are you doing? Morrison. Oh my Morrison. God, I
1: had to use that name when I first published my book. <laughs> so the whole world knows my middle name. Oh, people think I've even got a double-barrel name, it's not true. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like Ross, it's Ross Miguel, right? McGill, right? Okay, fine. We'll
0: stick, <laughs> we'll stick with Ross McGill then. Everything's wonderful. It's going to put this down little. all. Right, Ross, um, we're here in the... Ship in Hackney, thank you for coming.
1: My pleasure, it's interesting, thank you for inviting me, what a good day. Yeah,
0: it's been really good, really enjoyed the training. So first off, for people who don't know who you are, can you
1: introduce yourself? Yes, Uh, hi everyone, my name is Ross McGill, middle name is Morrison, Um, grandmother's name. I have been a teacher for 20 plus years, I've been a school leader in London for about 17. Um, You might know me as Teacher Toolkit on Twitter, if not you might have come across Teacher Toolkit as a website, or maybe the five-minute lesson plan if you're a teacher. If not, then it doesn't matter. I, I'm Ross, I'm a teacher, I'm an educator, and I'm now teacher training and working with companies on social media advice. Um, but yeah, an educator, teacher at heart.
0: Oh, great. Well, um, so Ross, tell me in the kind of a minute or so, what is your story?
1: My story? Um, so I'll rewind 10 years. Uh, I used to have an old teacher toolkit website where I first, I guess... Started to blog and just reflect and talk to myself in cyberspace. Not really knowing what a blog could become as it is today. But I guess the turning point was my son was born premature. I was made redundant from my job as a school leader. Uh, this is about 2010. Um, I then had to suddenly make an income um, without, you know, I've taught since I was 19, so suddenly you know, 15, 20 years in, had no job. Premature boy born 85 miles away from home. Wife on maternity leave for longer than planned. You know, £70,000 of debt. Had to sell my property, blah, 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 blah. Just got into writing. Uh, got bored of writing, but also missed teaching. So I got back into another school. Took a huge pay cut.
0: How did you get into writing?
1: I got into writing by... Um, f- I used to always love writing. Never really appreciated it as a teenager. But um, always thought I had my literacy demons, which I still do. I was never taught grammar at school. Um, but... I used to write a blog for Freddie to update my family, um, being stuck by his bedside all day, eight hours a day, trying to digest a bit of therapy, but also the doctor terminology. And with poor reception in the hospital, was trying to update the family, what was going on. It was just easier to write notes on your phone, go home, edit the content into a blog, publish it on my Facebook wall, and then all my family and friends could see it. And that accidentally became a bit of a viral story in the premature baby world. Uh, you know, and it was a bit of a risk because it was life and death story for a good first month. Um, but over time, it, it became fine and safe, and I kept up the blog. And then, when Freddie was home on oxygen as a premature baby, kind of after six months, me stuck at home for the first two months in the first academic year of my life, not being back at school. I thought, well, let me start writing. So, I started writing for The Guardian, and I got back into teaching. And then I just kept up my blogging or my writing in a Teacher Toolkit frame. So I started my Teacher Toolkit, I regurgitated it, rebranded it. And five or six years later, teachertoolkit.co.uk is is essentially six, seven years of blogging. Uh, And it's now gone a bit out of control and read all around the world and 40 teachers writing inside it. uh, Generating a bit of an income and all sorts of nice little things that that allows me to pay off my debts. um, Keep connected with educators uh, share great ideas, dispel myths, help teachers in similar problems that I might have been in, or they might be in too. Um, you know, the complicated world of education, business money, mental health, well-being. Mm. Um, there's lots of things to talk about.
0: What's your mission for Teacher Toolkit?
1: It's always been classroom perspective, you know, teacher voice. So with the 40 teachers now inside the site writing, I can kind of guarantee that there's teacher voice uh, action research, uh, resources, ideas. Um, You know, we try and blog about policy here or there, but it's not confused by politics. We try to cover a range of topics and a range of views uh, and bias, perhaps. But I see the site in five years as maybe a go-to place for teacher voice, for resources, for opinion, for ideas, for research, uh, kind of connecting all those two together. and, And whether it's a place where people can download resources in five years' time, That would be a nice place to be in. Um, But I'm quite pleased that it is one of the major platforms where teachers get their ideas from, Mm. particularly in the UK. But when I look into my analytics, uh, probably 10%, 15% of my audience is American, Australian, Canadian, you know, expat kind of places such as Dubai, uh, New Zealand. You know, it starts to get quite interesting when you dig into the data. Mm. Um, But as I've showed you today, when we're looking at our social media kind of work, you know the the audience within the website generally reflects the teaching profession you know 70 percent female um, a lot of my followers are in the UK you know London specific perhaps so I'm trying to reach out through my current teacher training you know to help and support and and guess meet my audi- audience
0: you mentioned about research so um, in general our interest is kind of research that impacts practitioners um in education yeah. and youth sector also kind of policy makers that kind of thing Tell me why, or tell me a little bit about um, Teacher Toolkit Research, your, what you're interested in. Um,
1: so I'm currently um, researching verbal feedback. Why? Uh, I'll give you the backstory. Um, I still think, particularly under inspections or even for school leaders, when we are conducting work scrutiny, looking in kids' books, we seem to think that we know feedback is, you know, John Hattie's research, trumps all, all types of uh, teacher effects or, or input in the classroom. We know written feedback, but we we underrate verbal feedback. But why? Because we don't see it happen. Um, So now we have schools insisting that teachers have to evidence it with verbal feedback stamps, all sorts of crazy stuff. So my mission is to dispel this notion, to say that if I taught you how to swing your arm to hit a tennis ball, I could give you feedback there and then. I wouldn't need to necessarily write it down, and the feedback would be immediate. We apply this to the classroom situation. If you're teaching me how to write a paragraph for Macbeth in an English lesson, by the time I our market give you feedback two or three weeks later, that, it's, too late. that, it's too late for the kid to improve and we're on to a different topic. Now, I'm not saying we don't need written feedback, but if we could get to a place where we trust our teachers, that verbal feedback, if it's scripted, it's concise, it's accurate, it's pinpointed for the child and differentiated that has much more value than me writing something in their book two or three weeks later. So
0: is that your hunch, or do you have like evidence to support it?
1: Well, what I'm working on... So from a single tweet I put out uh, probably six months ago in March 2017 was to challenge or ask for schools to take part in a little bit of action research. So conscious of my own workload, but um, I've now got 119 schools signed up all around the world, so six countries... Uh, ranging from 60 kids on roll to 3,000. Like
0: a a spread of um, settings, so primary... Yeah, primary,
1: secondary, FE. So the challenge, I guess, single-handedly, would be to try and manage the data to come up with some form of standardisation, although I'm reluctant to do so. But six months in now, we've got 115 schools still committed. Um, They've been sent the resources that I've shared in terms of all I've offered them is, here's a... Excel sheet with particular data I want you to capture, so obviously safeguard and anonymise those kind of things have been considered. A letter to send to parents, to schools, the kind of conditions that I want to set up, so you have two teachers teaching the same project, one that's going to carry on as normal verbal written feedback, the other teacher, the other class is just going to purely focus on verbal feedback, no, no written marking as we know it. Then collect the data and Hopefully in March 2018 and June 2018, different windows will collect the data and actually see if these children have managed to keep the same expectations of outcomes or even better versus the kids with written. Mm. And what I hope that it will show is that there makes no difference or perhaps there's better outcomes from those kids that have had more immediate and more meaningful feedback. And
0: you're planning to do this for about a year, is that right? So we're
1: doing it for a year, so I hope to have something by June, you know, one-man band. I've had a couple of volunteers, think tanks like yourself included, that are interested in research, Mm. a couple of national newspapers. So whether, you know, it doesn't, at least least I'm on the go. Um, If we can change the landscape, change the dialogue, raise the profile of verbal feedback stamps, or at least the profile of feedback as we know it, but verbal feedback... Perhaps upskilling teachers with specific templates or scripts to give kids motivating feedback that's meaningful. You look at the workload mark and research paper from the DFE. If I can give a kid feedback that's meaningful, motivating, and it's manageable for me, then, then that's a good win for a teacher and for student and for parent. And there's some great technology out there. There's lots of voice recognition apps where I can speak into my phone. It generates uh, that feedback in a cloud that a kid can listen to, or it downloads a QR code or a sticker in the kid's book. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of quick-win workload solutions. So again, that's another huge agenda. Can you
0: recommend an app for us, please? uh, An app, I
1: can, yeah. I've recently connected with uh, an app called Vocal Recall, uh, I tweeted that out later, and I was I'm just laughing like yeah, a total recall going. There were so many teachers that got overwhelmed and excited with the tweet, and they downloaded it straight away. And I've since connected with the company, and hopefully, we can do a bit of work together. And um, so that's Vocal Recall. Essentially, you just talk into the, the your phone, uh, you, you, you sync it with a sticker or a QR code, then it prints them off. You can download it and print them yourself for free. Or I guess the way they make a bit of income is that it generates stickers through Amazon, you pay I think it's 2 99 it sends you 20 or 30 stickers per class, and all you do is just peel the sticker off, stick it in the kid's book. I guess the issue is on the other side is the kid's got to have a phone or something that can scan the QR code, or the classroom environment has something where the kid can scan it and listen to the feedback whether that's at home or in the classroom is another issue because you don't want to disadvantage some students. Mm. But it's certainly an alternative way to look at technology and how it can reduce workload and improve the immediacy of how, how good we can give kids feedback uh, quicker um, to address this burden, you know, with all the training that I've you know worked with about three thousand teachers in the last three months. Every time I ask them, "What's the workload issue?" It's marking comes up time and time again. So, why are you so passionate about workload? I know that we've both been senior leaders. You've been a deputy. Yeah. Um, well, you know, from you a teacher to a deputy, it? I've always worked forty to sixty hours a week minimum on top of my contracted hours. Now, teachers are committed and reflective people, but we all need to just think of Sunday nights. You get that gut feeling. Yeah you know you've got a difficult week ahead, you know to try and keep on up with your job, whatever you've been asked to do, you've still got to do a lot of work outside of hours, you know, well into the late working night, you, you don't plan necessarily to have a social life, you might lose one day at your weekend. And it's largely because of perceptions or what school leaders ask us to do or what our perceptions of school leaders are, of external influences. Yes. And school leaders being a bit more bolder and braver at saying, no, we're not doing this, Um, But then it's context, because if you're a school in special measures or inadequate, you've got a whole different agenda and priority, and you've got to do certain things to jump through hoops. So if you need to force all your teachers to do a verbal feedback stamp, or, or whatever it would be, you know, purple pen of progress, then at least you have an evidence trail to then show inspectors that this XYZ policy leads to XYZ improvement. And It's very binary, but it's true, and that's what we all succumb to when we look at inspectors or observers. Definitely. Um, so we need to kind of break all this chain of this vicious cycle and move towards things that we know in our heart would actually lead to teacher improvement and well-being, but also what's meaningful for the kids.
0: When do you think that, so as a school leader, when do you think that you, you know, what did you do that now you look back and cringe in terms of staff workload and what, did you, what have you done when you think, actually, yeah, I got that right?
1: Um, so one, one, one that I'm kind of pushing at the moment is teacher appraisal. You know, Performance-related pay has only come in recently, 2014, I think, off the top of my head. Um, I can't think of one appraisal target that's improved my classroom performance. I can think of ones that have asked me to do certain things. I might have re- uh, refined what I look at, particularly. Um, but I'd much rather have a research inquiry question, which myself and a few others on Twitter, you know, Alex Quigley, Dr Gary Jones from memory, they... Talk about research inquiry questions and how, when you look at actually research into appraisal, there's very little to support that it leads to teacher improvement or improved teacher effectiveness. Um, I recently pointed some statistics from the American Scientific Association to Tom Rogers, who blogged about it in the tests last weekend in December about teacher effects about 1 to 15%. What's out of our control is 85% socioeconomic factors. You might work with social, uh, affluent children in a nice part of the world. I might work with disadvantaged kids. We're both brilliant teachers, but actually I can only get certain outcomes with my kids versus you.
0: So that's quite depressing because I know that you and I both have, for the majority of our careers, chosen to work in challenging circumstances. Um, And obviously you want to feel like you can make a difference. So that argument starts to go down, well, can we really make any difference? And I have,
1: and I guess my passion is always working with disadvantaged communities. Uh, It's what I enjoy working in, it's just the nature of me, but... Twice in my career, it's come back to bite me because of the way the school is judged externally. Mm. So then, you know, you either get made redundant or your school gets put into special measures. You then lose your staff. You know, you look at research from the UCL, which shows after an inspection outcome from Ofsted, 3.5% of staff leave, whether that's forced or voluntary. Uh, I would would imagine it's both. But when you compare it to an outstanding school, 0% of staff leave school. Mm. Now, I'm not saying outstanding schools don't have their pressures, of course they do. They have that pressure to maintain that status, or they'll also have possibly parental pressure um, as well. Um, so you, you can't win, but I guess one quick fix overnight, we want to improve teacher retention and wellbeing, is let's get rid of ofsted gradings, full stop. Let's keep with some accountability. Let's look towards a minimum standard, but let's move towards peer review. Uh, let's get rid of the gradings. Uh, we all want a good school, full stop. Um, and let's just work out a way of a system where we can hold schools to account without this nonsense of gradings. We all want to be good, we all need a pat on the back, but we don't need to go and tell 100 colleagues in a school your special measures, their well-being's affected, some of them resign, some of them leave teaching prematurely. We have tens of thousands of teachers in our system right now today who could quite easily come back to the profession, but why would they? One, they can work less hours, They can work. they can earn more money, they can use all their wonderful skills in another part of education through think tanks like yeah, this, awesome. <laughs> uh, through charities, through their own little ed-tech companies. You know, and they use the skills in a different way. And we wonder why people leave the profession because they're getting beaten over the head by Ofsted or by the school leaders or by the expectations of what they have to do for their subject mm. um, through people that they work with. So we, if we want to make a change, we have to take a stand and do it ourselves. We can't rely on policymakers anymore. Uh, we're a bit far away from where teachers can have a say in policy. But, you know, the signs of, you know, collective teacher voice with the College of Teaching, you know, maybe we've got, we need to move to like a governing body type of thing where teachers have a say in certain things, parents have a say in certain things, and so the politicians.
0: How, how would that look? So what, what would they do and how would that
1: work? Well, you, I guess you just look at the workload. Review groups for marking data and lesson planning. Within each of those groups, you had classroom teachers, yeah, teachers school leaders, yeah. researchers, academics, parents, people that were interested in it, whatever reason, and they came up with a wide range of views to make a collective statement about what solutions were. So it was really well researched informed, rich from a wide panel of people, and they all had a stake in the say, uh, a stake in you know the policy. Um, You think of your governing body in school, it's the exact same thing. You have parents, you have governors, you have people from business, uh, teacher governors, uh, the head teacher, whatever. We look at removing politics from having a say in everything to do with school policy, but let's get mini groups of teachers, parents and whoever else having a say in teaching and learning, curriculum Mm. assessment. That's a a brilliant fix overnight if we can move to that system. It's only a matter of time because you just look at social media. You have people shouting out all sorts of great ideas, dispelling myths. It, it, it's inev- inevitable that it's going to happen. It's just I don't think we're ready for it because I don't think there's people brave enough at the top to make these decisions.
0: So my my kind of last just question, because we're doing a quick one today, is, uh, as I was saying, you're kind of like a teacher entrepreneur um, and we're talking about workloads yeah. and, and that kind of thing. And uh, so interestingly, the research suggests that people who leave teaching often... Take a massive pay cut, so teachers are scared to leave teaching because mm. they think it's a massive pay cut. And um, I am wondering what lessons you've learned as somebody who's left teaching, and why you think you know what entrepreneurial skills do teachers have without even realising.
1: Um, there's a great book that I'd highly recommend everyone read um, called The Hundred Dollar Startup. And in the book, the the chap, the author can't pronounce his name. Apologies. <laughs> Um, I think it's Chris Gill... Oh, G- Chris gillaboe Yeah, that's the one, yeah. yeah. Um, he looked at 100 different companies who started with very small income and took risks, and he looked at the hallmarks of what made their companies successful. And there's a nice bit in there about teachers and education and how we're more than just someone at the front talking. We're actually very good at problem-solving, got good leadership skills. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we draw on different... Uh, we collaborate, we can work independently, we can work tirelessly... Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, by default, you know, not only are we very reflective and analytical, but we're really good problem solvers and we can action plan and survive and use a whole wide... Right, I'm trying to quote different skill sets here, can't, <laughs> But you know what I mean. Um, we're actually much more uh, well-resourced than we think. Um, the nature of school life is you're in a classroom on your own, 20 in tw- a day, doing your thing. No one watching, very little time to reflect or talk to your colleagues. Um, so, it can be quite an isolated job in many ways it 's great because you 're on your own and you 've got nothing else but as soon as you come out into an office or to a meeting uh, you suddenly got to do all sorts of things, but the vast majority of time is ninety percent of the time with kids um, so yeah, um, you know people that want to think about stepping out I guess what I wanted to do, which i wasn 't able to is consider a part time approach to yeah. use my skills in a different way, but also just to manage my own workload and well being there's a great quote I read from Jill Berry, uh, the godmother of Twitter, <laughs> for educationists. Um, she reads and reflects on everyone's blogs and gives comments and, and pep talks and gives everyone lots of good motivation. But what Jill said recently was, um, "It's not the job. That, it's not you that's the problem. It's the job. If we, if we can't manage our own work within the working week, then there's something wrong with the job." And you'll think of. I can look at just my Twitter and Facebook audiences. People are just citing that they're working night and day and one day in the weekend at least just to keep on top of the workload or the expectations that they have to do, whether it's for school leaders or the best school leaders. I mean, I even think of something that we did in our school where we, looked, we reduced workload in terms of marking, but it doesn't matter what you can do. The exam board will still trump your marking policy because it will then tell your English teachers you've got to mark in this particular way for this particular course. So you can have, you know, don't mark this, don't use this colour pen, don't use this stamp, but then the exam board says this otherwise. So mm. there's there's a lot of external audiences that trump whatever work you want to do. Um, so, yeah, uh, I didn't answer your question, did I? <laughs> so, yeah, so basically you're
0: saying teachers have lots of skills. Um, teachers have got lots of
1: skills, and actually we can we can find that you can actually work part-time and still survive. I mean, it's all contextual, everyone's got their own needs or income, Um you know, wants and things like that, but... Yeah, generally teachers take a, on average, 10% pay cut,
0: so they're not leaving teaching for the money. No, it's never is the money, it's more
1: about job fulfilment, but, you know, if I think of some colleagues that I've worked with who've taken the jump, for whatever reason, whether they've been pushed out or wanted the jump out with other different interests, most people will generally cite that they're happier, they're healthier, they're working less, um... And so in some cases, people are earning more, and it might not be the reason you want to go. But a lot of people have got great ideas that are used from teaching. They've developed little ed tech bits of software yep. that have an impact, not just in their own school, but actually nationally or even worldwide. Um, so if you're going to have an impact f- for education to help teachers or help kids in a different way, then-, then good on you. That's
0: wonderful. Ross, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank, thank you for you. having me.
1: Thank you. Follow on Teacher Toolkit. That's it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, people. I love making this podcast if you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it there's a few things that you can do one subscribe press the subscribe button on iTunes or wherever you listen to it two share share this episode with somebody who you know will find it interesting or is affected by the specific issues covered three review write a review or leave a comment also feel free to contact us via the links on the show notes Thanks a lot, bye.